This is a download from News Talk 106 to 108. To download other programmes or for more information, go to newstalk.ie. Talking Point on News Talk 106 to 108. Thanks, Ashling, and good morning to you. Well, with the Dublin bus pay dispute mostly settled, but a bus errand dispute driving down the road, this morning we're talking public transport. Do we need a public transport company managed by the public and owned by the public, or should we accelerate the privatisation of public transport one route at a time? Can and should public transport make a profit, and if not, what is it worth? In studio, Eamon O'Queeve is Fianna Fáil TD for Galway West. Dermot O'Leary is General Secretary of the National Bus and Rail Workers Union. And Tom McAnini is a corporate PR consultant. You can text us on 53106 for 30 cent with your views or tweet us at TalkingPointNT and hashtag NTFM. And just two little housekeeping announcements first this morning. Yes, we do have all men on our panel this morning for the second week in a row. I am conscious of it. We did try to get some women. Didn't work out. But that's no offence to any of my wonderful panel who are here today and have all brilliant views and got up on a dark rainy October Saturday morning to come in to me so thank you and the other thing is if you're in Dublin or can make it to Dublin by lunchtime and if you're as downhearted by the bombardment of Aleppo as I am there's a demonstration at the Spire on O'Connell Street to express solidarity with the Syrian people at two o'clock I know it's not much and maybe bearing witness is all we can do but if you're interested I'm heading down and if you can't be there you could send something to Meds on Sans Frontier one of the other organisations working in Aleppo so if you can come that's two o'clock at the Spire, organised by the Irish-Syrian Solidarity Movement. Um, Tom McAnini, who should be in charge of public transport? OK, let's look at it like this. Who should public transport be for? And the answer is, it should be for the public. It shouldn't be for, with all due respect to Dermot, it shouldn't be for public sector trade unions, it shouldn't be for the people who drive the buses, it should be for the um, ordinary citizens of Ireland. And if we accept that, first of all, well then, the people who are in charge of it should be some transport authority, whether we're talking about the transport authority that's there already, which, by the way, isn't in charge of public transport. Let's just accept that. At the moment, the status quo, as things stand, is that you have a monopoly or near monopoly situation where CIE, be that... uh, um, Irish Rail, Bus Erin or, or Dublin Bus is effectively in charge of public transport and where you have a near monopoly situation you have a situation where one group of people can close that down at will and can bring a city to the stop and now we can argue whether that's a good thing or a bad thing I'm of a view that that's not a good thing that that gives a disproportionate amount of power to one group of people so I would say um, it should be the National Transport Authority. Um, it's not. In effect, it's not because we only ha- we, we have a near monopoly uh, um, uh, situation. We should have a level of competition with people competing again, uh, with each other, not just on price, but in service and the um, um, uh, workers' rights and whatever you want to put into that, into that yourself. It should be the government. The main question, the main issue is not who's in charge, but who is it run for? Eamon mm. O'Queeve, There's this beast that came into existence called the commercial semi-state, of which CIE is one. And it's this formula whereby we own the company and the minister, the relevant minister, is the sole shareholder in the company. But they're not supposed to interfere because it counts as EU state aid or something like that. So we've got these companies, Dublin Bus, Bus Air and Irish Rail, all rolled into CIE. 
But I just get this feeling that there's no single person in charge. There's no one driving the vision. There are random people appointed to the boards. There's a quango called the National Transport Authority that licenses routes. But there's no vision driving it. Is that the sense that you get? Yes, I think we totally lack a vision for public transport. Um, and you know, it's not as simplistic as private versus public. Uh, there are some very good private services that were developed because the public service didn't do it. Particularly, for example, if you take the intercity uh, rapid bus services between the likes of Galway and Dublin and so on. On the other hand, I think if we went through privatisation, we'd be going a very, very wrong route. Why? Because what tends to happen is you start off with a state monopoly and for a while you get a whole lot of competing private companies. And then one company with resources, and particularly in this big, wide European market, comes in, buys up all the small little fish, and then you wind up with a private monopoly. And if there's one thing that's worse than any public monopoly, it's certainly a private monopoly on a whole lot of grounds, on wages for workers. And I think that that's a debate we have to have another day, because there is a massive press down on wages right across our economy while the owners take more and more out on senior management. And that's a serious trend. And if you ask me, you know, what's got Trump got it and Corbyn and Brexit all have in common, it's all the ordinary people shouting at the establishment at the vested interest saying, hang on a second, you can't run wild. And if you do, we've got one thing left, our vote to upturn your fancy plans. The second thing is this, competition became a god. And it was meant to solve everything, give you great services at a really economic cost. Well, ask anybody who ever was affected by the banking crisis, where that particular God left us. It left us all in ruins right across Europe. And people thought it was only Irish banks. I hear there's a little bank called Deutsche Bank in trouble now. So when you go too far in any one single direction, when you become doctrinaire, you always run into trouble. Who should run public transport? The first thing is, obviously, the government have a responsibility to ensure that all the people in the country have a good public uh, public transport service. The second thing we have to do is to use all of our assets to their maximum advantage. Uh, and I don't believe we do that, for example, with the rail assets. Uh, and it's now 40 years too late. We're going to bring trains in under the tunnel and around into Grand Canal Dock and so on. Who was responsible for not doing that? I'll never get my head around because lots of ordinary people have suggested that over the years. So the government has to be in charge of the big plan. Uh, There are a whole lot of practical suggestions I can make as to how you could have a better big plan. Uh, One simple one, if I could just give you an idea. We have a lot of third level colleges around the country uh, and students often have to stay overnight. Now, radiating out of every third level college along the main routes out of the towns and cities with third level colleges for 30 or 40 miles, there should be buses and trains running to 10 and 11 o'clock at night so the students do not have to get the last bus to Carrow at 5 o'clock in the evening or depend on private transport out which they don't have. It's that kind of, if I might say so, not moving with the times, is holding up our transport and policy. Just, and on that, and, and Dermot, I'll come to you now in a second, that there seems to be this issue of that the minister cannot intervene well, on the management of these companies because it's prohibited by this commercial semi-state thing. What do you know about that? And do you think there could be more intervention? Well, we are in this farcical situation that the owner is told he can't interfere. Uh, and as I say, European doctrines tend to... Um, 
cause lots of problems for me. We can't seem to put fibre into every house in the country because there's some European directive that says we have to be technology neutral. Uh, we can't seem to you know, run a proper bus service because there's some European directive that seems to be stopping us. We can't build houses because there's another European rule that says we can't borrow money to, to house our people, something we could do in the 30s. It just seems to me every day I wake up in the morning, we can't build a road to Connemara if we're talking about transport because there's a European directive that says no matter how dangerous the current road is, how defective it is, that it's trumped by ecology. So I seem to spend my life uh, running into brick walls with European directives and one of the problems with a European directive compared to a national law, if a national law is asinine you can change it, if a European directive is asinine you can't do anything about it. Now Dermot O'Leary, <coughs> I am from Enfield and I remember too long ago when I would be heading back to Dublin on a Sunday night standing on the side of the road and the bus errand bus would go by yeah, and it would be full up and there may or may not be another bus coming and private bus companies came along and literally which Tom McEnany and I were saying just before the show is one of those rare occasions I get to use the word in its proper context. The private bus companies were able to come in and pick people up off the street that were left standing there by bus Aaron who just had no incentive to provide a proper service or people like you in the unions were saying, oh, no, no, we're not changing anything, you know, because we want more money otherwise. So by its own refusal to um, accommodate the people, it opened itself up to challenges from the private sector. And, you know, where are you now? Well, look, I'm, I'm not here to defend Bus Aaron or any of the other two companies, but you'll find as I go on that it would appear that I am the company spokesman. Uh, obviously, working in, in the industry, representing people who are working in the industry, that's only natural for me to do that. In terms of the point you make about infield, I'm assuming, uh, and, and there's many cases that are in the country, Bus Aaron would not have had the resources uh, to put services in on top of, uh, of what rules to already serve. That was back then, and the rules have changed since then. Can I just say one thing about, Eamon uh, <coughs> talks about uh, the EU. The EU gets blamed for everything we all know that we all do it but there's no EU directive says that there has to be competition on the bus market it doesn't say that uh, and that's a bit of a, a myth and a misnomer uh, privatisation look you won't be surprised to hear me saying that I completely and utterly object uh, and, uh, and, and, and anti I am anti uh, privatisation for, for reasons that I can I, I can, I can outline mm-hmm. here if you like you take Bus Aaron for example Bus Aaron provided uh, social services and commercial services for many years in this country whether they're good or whether they're bad infield example <coughs> included um, what happened during the Tiger, uh, and Eamon will know this very, very well, uh, there was many uh, motorways built between Dublin, Cork, Dublin, Limerick, Dublin, Galway, Dublin, Walford, and there's no anything up to five operators on those corridors. Uh, there was only one operator when those cities had been served back in the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, right up to the noughties. That was Bus Aaron providing those services. And it was what's ironic for us is that when you look at, uh, for example, the Dublin-Cork route, you will see a situation where Bus Aaron have a route number eight, I think it is, and they would have served all those towns between, for example, Portleach and Cashel, uh, which I know quite well from travelling up and down that road, as you can imagine. Uh, back in 2012, I think it was, uh, Bus Aaron found themselves in a position where they had to leave those towns, come out and compete with the new with, with, with the new uh, competitors on the on the motorway, mm. uh, leaving large to- or a large large uh, swathes of population unserviced. Uh, what happened then? The NTA, uh, or as I call them, the HSE on wheels, uh, came in and had to award a contract to a private operator to plough the gap that uh, Bus Aaron left behind. Bus Aaron were doing all those routes 
practically nutting or as part of its commercial service, if you like. That's been rep- starting to be replicated throughout the whole country. And you know, I have a situation announcement two weeks ago uh, where both here and are talking about uh, either coming off expressway or reducing the terms and conditions of its staff. That's not going to happen, obviously. We won't allow that to happen. And that's the good side of trade unions. Uh, unions don't strike uh, for a living. We represent people for a living. Uh, and the last thing we do is we want to strike. And we, I've said this before. But, but in terms of the uh, public service, public transport is a service. Every service, public, uh, sorry, transport, health, education, they should, be, they should be provided by government for the citizens of the state. Not necessarily for the workers, but it's supposed to provide reasonable terms of employment for the, for the employees as well. And in actual fact, uh, Amazon own grandfather in the 1958 Transport Act, uh, it's written into that Transport Act that the, the maintenance of, of reasonable terms and conditions is paramount and it's, it's still in the Act and, you can re- and obviously the would know that. But in terms of competition, what's happening in, again in, in those corridors I mentioned, there's four or five operators, there's no market saturation. The NT will tell you that's good for the consumer because there's, there's plenty of choice. And as Eamon rightly says, that choice uh, dissipates over, over a period of time. Bus Aaron will disappear from the expressway possibly. Other operators will disappear from, the, from, from that network and you end up either a monopoly with a private operator or a duopoly. That's the experience in the UK. In, in terms of the western, you look at the western seaboard which is completely the opposite to the motorway network out of Dublin where from basically from the Shannon Basin all the way up to the northwest, there's only one operator and that's Bus Aaron. And again on local radio stations last week asked the obvious question about certain routes will that route disappear possibly I said it will I wasn't scaremongering by the way because Bus Aaron are talking about withdrawing from the expressway expressway is a vital link Bus Aaron has spent generations bus workers have spent generations putting that network together you take out one link of that, of that network and the whole thing collapses and now that's what people are facing into and that's scary among because you look at uh, rural post office rural gallery station closure, closing down the bank branches right Eamon O'Keeve and politicians will be jumping up and down if that affects rural Ireland the people in rural Ireland are very unforgiving when it comes to touching their services so I mean the politicians in particular need to be aware and one last point they make on, on politicians if I will if I may uh, I, I mentioned Dublin Cork and the bus area coming out of those small towns the first people to object, the first people to hold mass meetings were politicians of all political parties and none. And in particular, there were government politicians were moaning and groaning about the loss of the service for their constituents, even though they would have voted for this type of policy. Tom McEnany, so there's this idea of public service and that it's sh- that it's sh- the public transport should be run by publicly owned companies because there are just some routes on which you can never make any money. And therefore, it must be subsidised. So let the private guys have the profitable routes in the Dublin Galway and going to the airport and all of that. But that merely increases the cost burden on the publicly owned company. OK, I, Sarah, I've been in this uh, on this show and in this studio a number of times. And I, I, I can't remember the last time uh, where I find myself so much in disagreement with so many of the points made by each of the other, um, each of the other speakers. Surprise. Let's come in a few of them. OK, let's come, in, let, let's come in a few of them. First of all, this nonsense that the, the uh, private operators only want the commercial routes, OK? It's an absolute lie. It's one that's peddled out all the time where you have a subvention, where there are routes that are not commercial. Let's say you're going between Cork and Kerry or pick any route you like. Where it's non-commercial, you need a level of subvention. Now, that's the, that's the case whether it's a public sector company or a private company. The public sector companies such as Bus Aaron don't operate without subvention. You need a subvention to operate on those routes. The, pub, the private sector would be perfectly happy to, op- to operate those routes with the same subvention. And indeed, if you had a level of competition for that subvention, um, it, uh, you'd have in- increased services and the, the level of subvention would go down. That's the first thing. The second thing is this notion about competition. Okay, and that competition, I don't know, 
who Eamon socialises with that thinks that competition is a god but uh, I'm happy to take those I'm happy to take I'm happy to, we, we can come together and take them out it and does beat, it seems beat to be out. a new it's, it's, it's hyperbole it's not okay unfettered competition is obviously nonsense okay and the great example is in the UK where they had unfet- Thatcher brought in unfettered competition across the buses down the country and so it the, was it was a terrible idea so and it worked really badly king of okay yeah no it's appalling I, 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 I totally agree with you the issue here is regulation where you have proper regulation where you have proper regulation then you can put in proper standards that suit everybody not just the, the, the workers in the companies not just particular semi-state companies but the public and this this idea that you have a duopoly that where you have where you bring in competition and by the way nobody is talking about privatisation of routes in Ireland nobody I mean there's loads of people arguing against the privatisation routes of Ireland there's nobody arguing for what's being talked about in Ireland is allowing competition on routes that would continue to be owned by the state authority so they are there currently um, owned and um, by the state authority to continue to be owned by the state authority but you'd have competition where private companies and public companies would compete to operate those services. So this idea that you're talking about privatisation of routes is just nonsense. But uh, just to come back to the idea that where you do have privatisation you necessarily have the, you're replacing a public monopoly with a private monopoly. First of all, it's just not true. And you can look across Europe and there's loads and loads of examples of where they've brought in competition, properly regulated competition. I love to go to Berlin, for instance. I think it's a wonderful city. You have 40 different companies operating within within Berlin, not two, not two, yeah, not but three, but you have 40 different companies just competing yeah, against each other and providing an excellent service. And, and, and right, I, 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 I'm here to have a debate on, on strike action this morning, so I'm trying to keep it a bit civil. Congratulations, by the way. Yeah, well no, done. No, no, well, thanks very much. Quickly, no, no, very, very, very quickly. I mean, Tom talks about two very quick points. A competition is, is again, this trade union, the NBRU, or most trade unions in that operate in this sphere are not anti-privatisation by any stretch of the imagination. What we are, though, is anti-competing for wages because the biggest cost to any, and you know this, any organisation is labour. So what happens, whether it's regulated or otherwise, people compete on labour. In Berlin, for example, you mentioned Berlin, Germany, in fairness to Germany, the, the 16 federal states I think they have, each of those federal states, or the vast majority of those federal states, have, have rules and regulations about uh, employment uh, and, and, and terms and conditions. And that's the most important thing of all not to be competing for the lowest common denominator which is people's I, wages and you know what I agree with you but you don't necessarily have to have competition for competition on labour for instance when you that's set up the, the licence when you allow today. people in you can make it a provision that you have to treat your workers particularly well, well. That's and when it comes to when, sorry when it comes to labour and competition for labour and you're talking about the private sector you don't necessarily have everybody in the private sector working at the, at the lowest possible rate okay. and that's something that should be dealt with at a national level and across all sectors and not just po- not just transport well, Okay think now Eamon O'Keefe yeah. I think we can all welcome your view on that because normally how people compete is pressured on a wages. let's be honest about it uh, and if you're in favour of uh, you know, ensuring that people have a living wage uh, and particularly in a situation that houses and houses are getting harder to get and that people are finding that to own your house which in previous generations the vast majority of working people thought was something that was to be expected is going to become the luxury for the rich which I think is absolutely horrendous. Um, and therefore, if you're saying, well, OK, we let them out, but we're going to fix their wages and whatever, effectively the state is run on a kind of state-controlled private sector, which isn't much different from a state sector. But can I just say that if you actually think of the theory of having one company, now, first of all, 
the reason CIE was set up, if you go back far enough, is there were competing companies that were making a dog's dinner of it, and the state decided we better take this over because the whole thing is falling apart. There wasn't investment in the process and so on. The second thing is this. Of course, the idea uh, over the years was you gave a subsidy, but also the profitable routes subsidised the unprofitable routes. But when you have you let it all out in bits, the guy, people in the profitable routes and the purely commercial routes will put the profit in their pocket and say, thank you very much for that. And then when they go to bid for the subsidised route, they'll want the full subsidy to make that profitable as well, which actually in theory should actually make the whole thing dearer not cheaper so why not make people pay can for I the make, profitable can, sorry, can I okay Eamon keep can going can, one more point can yeah. I make the third point yeah but I think it's just interesting in the wider debate about public transport a lot of people would presume that the per capita support in the city here for public transport would be much less than in rural Ireland because the density of population here should lead to a lot more people in the buses paying a lot more fares and a lot more economic Actually, the ratio of subsidy from the state to bus air and buses, Dublin bus, when you take population into account, is about five to one in favour of Dublin buses, five times more expensive. Right. Now, what does that mean that we also have to look at this debate in a wider way? Could we provide, if we were willing to give the same per capita support, could we provide the whole of the island of Ireland with an integrated transport service that would be really efficient and would reach into communities in a modern way. Just one quick can point. I, can I, just one very quick point. One very Amy makes a very, very good point. And the bus hearings accounts, and they've published accounts, that they, they, you just Google them, you get them. For year on year, from 2000 up to 2012, bus hearing have been subsidised, and through its expressway, has been subsidising, and this is important for Tom and, and people who support privatisation, bus hearing have been supported mm-hmm. through its commercial services, the PSO services. Yeah. In other words, they've been doing the job of government to the tune of approximately 50 million. Bus hearing are owed 50 million by the state for providing public I thought I said this wasn't about privatisation. Tom, I will come back to you straight after this ad break and we'll also be talking to a private bus operator. Talking Point on News Talk 106 to 108. And welcome back to Talking Point. We're talking about public transport this morning and in studio, Eamon O'Queeve, Fianna Fáil TD for Galway West, Dermot O'Leary is General Secretary of the National Bus and Rail Workers Union and Tom McAneeny is a corporate PR consultant. You can text us on 53106 for 30 cent with your views or tweet us at TalkingPointNT hashtag NTFM and some of your texts. Jaron Cork says competition should be on a per time slot basis on every route, not on a per route basis like air transport and that puts the public and private on an equal basis. Another texter says public sector enterprises are run for the staff and the bureaucrats that work in them. The customer is at the bottom of the priority ladder. Only the private sector regards the customer as king. Their businesses sink or swim on their ability to satisfy customer wants and needs. And then someone else says, please challenge Eamon's blaming of the EU. It's Irish politics that can't function and manage to, for instance, balance the economy with the ecology. And finally, have any of you ever arrived at Dublin Airport at 10 at night and looked for public transport to take you out of Dublin and down the West? It's non-existent. The whole world seems to revolve around Dublin. As far as I can see, the EU rules Ireland. Our governments are just puppets. So opposing views there. Tom McAneeny, you wanted to make a point about the difference between privatisation and competition. Okay, yeah, a couple of things. Yeah, and I'll try and make them as quickly as possible. Okay. First of all, on the privatisation, am I pro-privatisation? If, if we were having a debate about privatisation, it would be about selling CIE, breaking it up and selling off Irish Rail to a private company, selling Dublin no, bus to a private it. company, selling um, uh, bus air into a private company. 
company. Maybe that's the debate we should have and I'm not sure whether I would be pro or anti-privatisation in that context. In the moment we're not talking about privatisation, we're talking about opening up state-owned routes that would continue to be state-owned routes, opening up the competition where public sector, public companies could compete against private companies for those routes. Just let's be clear and kill that one off for a moment. <laughs> Secondly, the idea of competition is somehow a bad thing and responsible for the collapse of the banks. Um, uh, 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 Competition is a fantastic thing when it's properly regulated. If it weren't for competition, we'd still, and particularly competition when it comes to transport, if it weren't for competition, we'd still have to take out a small mortgage just to pay the airfares to go from Dublin to London. And most Irish people would still be forced to to, to stay at home instead of, instead of travelling abroad. I appreciate that they're not, well, I'm sorry, but well, I appreciate that they're not uh, uh, social services. The competition, and particularly, uh, generally speaking, has served Irish people uh, very, very well. And indeed, most of that competition has been imposed uh, from the EU, and that's a good thing. I would argue that but most of the things that have been imposed from the EU th- are you, actually do excellent. You, do you acknowledge it's a vehicle for pushing down wages? Um, Okay, let me come on that. Yes, in the private sector, you have much more pressure on wages than you do in the public sector. That's true. On the other hand, where you have uh, uh, relatively protected services, monopoly situations where, uh, let's say in the ESB, the guys who are responsible for um, keeping the lights on, you could argue, and in fact, I would argue, that you have artificially high wages because they have, uh, anybody who's able to say, like Dermot, is able to switch off transport, has a disproportionate... I'm not saying that's, that's a reasonable that's, that, that's, that's another point but here's the thing when you have competition it's not just about prices when you have competition including the buses for instance when you go on a private bus as, uh, uh, as I would regularly enough now most of the time you can get Wi-Fi and it was them that brought it in when you have competition a lot of competition is on services is on quality of those services regularity it's not just about how price and it's not just about it's not, oh, no, wait a second we can have this kind of argument where okay. you talk and now, I interrupt you, James, and you and I talk to you right. if you like if James you like. McGinley is on the line and he's managing director of John McGinley Coach Travel good morning James Good morning, Sarah. Now, so I think there seems to be a consensus here. Well, maybe um, not exactly in this studio. (laughs) Are we on the same show, Sarah? (laughs) That perhaps competition is very, very helpful. But there's a fear that with privatisation, one of the side effects is that wages and conditions are driven down. Can you tell me how you run your company and what routes you're running on and how it all works with the NTA? Well, we operate a, a number of services from, from Donegal. Uh, we're based in northwest Donegal, a rural part of the, the country. Uh, we service a route from, from Anagree and Guidor on to Letterkenny and to Dublin City and Airport. Uh, likewise, we travel from the Inishon Peninsula uh, to Derry and on to Dublin City and Airport. And we actually are on a very unique service from, from Donegal to Glasgow and Scotland. And is that a route that's profitable in itself or does that require any kind of um, public service subsidy from the government? No, none of our, uh, none of our routes are, are subvented. They're all uh, commercial routes. And then you get those, you have to apply to this National Transport Authority to get a licence for them. Is that correct? That's correct. Uh, well, some of those, to be honest, have been there uh, prior yeah. to even licences being there. The, the service from, from West Donegal to, to Dublin has been in place 
And how how do you find dealing with this National Transport Authority? I've heard odd stories about them during the week that they were down at the Ploughing Championships, stopping buses coming in that had put on a bus from some town to go to the Ploughing Championships and saying, where's your licence? You know, that it all seemed to be a little bit bureaucratic. How do you find dealing with them? I have to say that I have no complaints. They are a, a regulator and uh, you know, if you apply for all your, your licences and do everything above board, you'll have no issues with them. So I suppose they have, they're there to have a, a job to fulfil and it's there to make sure that, that everything is done properly and legally. And tell me about your bus drivers then. What are their conditions? Are they employees? You know, do they work a certain amount of hours per week? How does all that work for you? Well, they're all employees, yes. And uh, very much uh, the, the issue with coach drivers and bus drivers is that we're governed by EU drivers' hours regulations. So... Uh, it's kind of set down. There isn't a case where where a driver can do more. You know, there's a set amount of hours that every driver can do, and uh, you can't go over those uh, those regulations that are there. And do you, are they coming to you and saying it's not fair? Look what bus errand drivers are getting. They're being paid more than us. We want to raise. I think every company is different. Uh, you know, we look after them in our own way, and as I said. Uh, you know there are no two companies in the in the country that are similar, and uh, I suppose it's uh, it's every com- company has to see what what works for them. That I believe that that my drivers are, are very happy with the arrangements. And then, what about um, do you think that the provision of your service has forced Bus Aaron to up its game? Or do you see Bosseran engaging in what you might call any unfair practices against you? That maybe when you try to do something, they try and outbid you on it and they can because they've more resources. Is there any of that going on? I have to say that uh, there isn't. Uh, competition, I think, in, in any industry works well. Uh, I know the air travel has been mentioned and I think in, in bus travel, it's, it's very much the same. Uh, we compete with, with Bus Aaron on the on the letter Kenny to Dublin route. As I said, we start off in West Donegal in an area that you, they don't. But on the main towns, Letter Kenny, Lifford, on to Dublin, we compete with them. And as I said, uh, I think we all get our fair share. And there, are, you know, we, there are customers that prefer our bus service, and there are customers that prefer theirs. Uh, obviously, the market is we can't compete with them on occasion on on the amount of service they provide. Uh, but uh, as I said, that's because the passengers aren't there to for any more services. Okay, and just and very quickly, so do you think the system is working out okay both for the customers and for you as a company? There's nothing that you'd like to change or you see is inherently wrong within the system, is there? Uh, well, for the customer, I think the customers are certainly they've got uh, more and more choice over the years. So. Uh, choice and, and competition is very healthy. I suppose the one big thing that we in the private sector would like is we would like to see access to the to the national bus stations. Uh, we are at odds, unfortunately. We're still left in the dark ages where the private sector has to park in the street corners as opposed to getting into the, the national bus stations that are paid for by EU grant money and by, by government subvention. So I think that's something that we're at, at a little bit of a disadvantage, that we're not allowed into the, the proper bus stations to kind of be seen on the same level as the, as the national company. Yeah, I heard that being raised all right during the week. OK, look, James McGinley, thanks a million for joining us this morning. I have to take another quick break. We'll be back with more after this. Talking Point on News Talk 106 to 108. 
Welcome back to Talking Point. We're talking about public transport this morning and Robert Wright, the transport correspondent of the Financial Times, who joined us last week when we were talking about cycling, was so good we've punished him and asked him on again to talk about public transport. Uh, Good morning, Robert. Good morning, Taylor. Um, Now, I want to talk about the narrative of the privatisation of public transport. And certainly when it comes to British Rail, all I've ever heard is that privatisation was a disaster for British Rail. Can you tell us, is that true? And if not, why not? There is. One certainly hears an awful lot of negative stuff about about rail privatisation. But uh, my feeling is it's very hard to square the idea that this was a complete catastrophe with the fact that Passenger traffic in the UK railways has doubled in the 20 years since privatisation. So clearly there's been something that's gone on that passengers have found not entirely repellent. Um, And uh, my feeling is that broadly uh, privatisation in the UK railways has actually been pretty successful. Um, And there are a number of things that I I think have made it a success. But one of the really underappreciated things about getting the private sector involved about Letting out franchises um, for both rail and buses, which I, which I know we're going to talk about as well, is that it forces government public authorities to make long-term plans. If you're going to let out a franchise to somebody to operate the service, you can't just decide from year to year how much funding you're going to give it. So a government has to lay out a properly thought-out plan for what kind of funding it's going to give that service for many years. And because of the nature of investment in transport systems, because it's a long-term thing to invest in, that actually seems to work very well. So so I think that's one of the big virtues of it. And then what about what kind of profits the commercial entities make? You know, does the government still have to subsidise public transport? And how do they do that? Well, this is there's a very different picture here for rail and buses in the in the United Kingdom. So, uh, but but let's deal first with first with rail. Um, it continues to be a, a fairly popular idea that if one renationalised the UK railways, costs would somehow magically come down, and 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 that's really where a lot of the feeling that uh, I mean the Labour Party policy is currently that UK that the UK railways should be renationalised. Um, and the, the idea seems to be that if you took out the private sector and there was no profit motive anymore there, that uh, that, that costs would magically fall and, and fares would fall. That's not really true. The typical operating profit margin for a UK train operator is about 3%. That's, that's really very slim. It's not a particularly lucrative business to be in at all. Um, and the costs in the UK railways are really driven by um, by Network Rail, which is owned by the government, which owns owns the track. And, and that's really where, where the high costs are, are coming from for them to a very substantial degree. Um, and so if one were to renationalise the UK railways tomorrow, that, that those, co- those costs would not fall. Um, and... Really, ultimately, even when you have a nationalised system, it costs something to get money into it. it uh, you know, a, a nationalised system has to pay for its money somehow. So th- th- there's always going to be somebody who makes it makes a bit of money out of providing the cash to it. In the UK railways, it's it's private sector operators. Um, in in nationalised systems, it's it's whoever provides the money to the government, people who, who lend to them, and so on. So um, it's not a particularly profitable business for the people who operate the UK railways, and as, and also 
the UK government still has to subsidise the system. About 25% of the costs of every train journey in the UK are met by taxpayers. Um, it, a few years ago, it was 50%, so it, the, the situation has improved, but subsidies for the railways have come down. Um, now, I think in Ireland, a lot of the issues are around buses, and in, in the UK, buses are a different matter. Um, in Great Britain, outside London, buses are essentially a free market enterprise. Um, there are relatively few subsidies. Mostly they operate on, on a for-profit basis, for, for better or worse, uh, and, and there is not a lot of subsidy goes into them. Um, a, a lot of people think that perhaps it would be better to subsidise buses more and perhaps rail a bit less. So just on those, um, that free market outside London, so how does that work out for the people? You know, are there bus services where people need them at a price they can afford? Well, you know, the problem is that it has become, as car ownership has spread over the decades, it's become less and less attractive to offer a bus service for the for the people who who don't have access to to a car. Um, and that's always going to be the case, whether it's a private sector system or a public sector system. Um, the bus services have generally declined in the UK. And really, the big problem, in my view, is that uh, in the, there aren't that many bus lanes. It's difficult for buses to get through traffic. So as more and more people buy cars, you have more and more traffic. The buses get more held up. Uh, bus operators end up putting up the fares to compensate for the fact they've got fewer people on the bus. Uh, that then makes buying a car more attractive. And, and you get into this vicious cycle. So um, is that not a case then for actually that that's what should be nationalised? That A, if you put on bus lanes, and I accept that's a separate issue, you could put on bus lanes and still have a private sector uh, bus system. But that if you put on buses in what are ostensibly unprofitable areas, well, then people who can't afford to buy a car would rather not have a car would use them. And you'd actually build up demand rather than reducing demand. Well, one of the interesting things about the UK buses is there are two counterexamples of what happens in, in most of Great Britain. Um, and a lot of in a lot of places outside London, people say we want the same system as happens in London. In London, uh, bus operators um, bid to operate a, a service, but they do it in a way that's specified by Transport for London, the transport body for the capital, um, and Transport for London gets fares, and, and these people get paid according to the quality of the service they provide. Um, and that a lot of people outside London can say, we want to do that because London buses have had very rapid growth um, until quite recently, and it's it seen as a big success. Um, so, so that's one counterexample. Uh, the problem in London is it is expensive to provide the bus service, um, and uh, it, and you know it, it should be broadly a profitable business to run a bus in London, and at the moment it, it's still being subsidised. So you can you can question how well uh, how well that's that's working in some ways. Um, well, but just other, uh, oh, sorry, go on, yeah. But because the other counter example is, is much closer to home for you, which is which is in Northern Ireland, the system has remained entirely nationalised um, and Translink decides where it's going to run the buses. There is not private private competition there. And I don't think people think that Translink is a shining example of exactly how a public transport system should be operated. 
Um, and, and there are certainly parts of Great Britain outside London where you have public transport systems working much better than TransLink does. Um, so so I, I think... So I'm not, I'm not sure that that's particularly the model that people should be following. And Robert Ride, Transport Correspondent for the Financial Times, thank you for joining us. Dermot O'Leary, you see, are you guys your own worst enemy? That by making improvements and reform difficult, that Tom McEnany is right because competition improves the level of service for everybody. And then you end up with privatisation, people turning to competition and your wages being driven down. Well, if you were more flexible, we'd all be better off. Well, you see, I, just to pick up on Tom's argument, if Tom is talking about regulated competition, then that shouldn't be a factor. The services are dictated by the NTA, who I obviously have problems with. So that shouldn't become a factor. The simple fact of the matter is you're competing on wage. I said this already. But the, what, what would happen in, in, in Ireland, certainly, and as, as long as I'm around, it certainly would happen. The people who come in on low wages working for private operators would soon be unionised and it wouldn't, take, it wouldn't take very long for me to be campaigning for their wages to match that of the, of the state carrier so that's that's one point in terms of the piece you did with, 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 with uh, Mr Wright there in terms of the UK you asked a question about the bus service outside of London uh, I've looked over the last few days and I see government what they call a government we call a subsidy they call it government supported mileage has dropped by 55 million miles in the last decade uh, the bus service outside of London is a disaster in London again which, is, which was mentioned the subsidy in London has gone from 41 million in, in 1999 up to a whopping 750 million. That's all going into uh, multinationals, at first groups, the uh, uh, those types of, of, of operators. And what's happened in London as a result of, of uh, regulated competition, if you like, or, or, and, and people coming in, there are 80 different wage rates in, in London transport, believe it or not. Most of them are just barely above the London living wage. So you're, you're into where those multinational companies coming in, taking taxpayers' money and competing on labour. A um, couple of quick texts. I don't care whether the transport service is public or fri- private as long as free travel is maintained for senior citizens on all routes. And another text or do the private companies accept the free travel pass that so many old and frail people depend heavily on? I think the answer to that is it's mixed. It depends. Eamon O'Queeve. As far as I can see is that this has all just been devolved to this quango. The National Transport Authority, there's no political leadership. You're blaming the EU, you know, but... Is it time for politicians to actually step in and give us a vision of what public transport should look like? No, I'm not blaming the EU. Yeah. I'm just taking the fact that you often seem to run into problems when you want to run the way the thing in a way that suits this particular little island. And we are different in the European Union because we're a very small island on the periphery of Europe. Now, what I've tried to get across here all day is run the service for the people. Don't be doctrinaire. And when I said making a god of competition. I was talking about the people and they have been there who have seen competition as the only criteria that kind of delivers good service where it's much more complicated. Now, what we actually, in a funny way, see as you go to take the running of the service from a state company, you then bring the state back in and we're saying here, Berlin, state sets the wages minima. States sets the routes. States decides which routes to be subsidised. The state actually decides on most PSO contracts how much profit you can make. And if you're making too much profit according to your accounts, they actually claw back. The state should decide that every licensed carrier on all public routes, I'm not talking about charters, uh, should have to accept the free travel. And one of the crazy anomalies at the moment is that there are people on licensed routes, as far as I understand, that don't accept the, the free travel. Now, one thing that that I think Mr. McGinley 
uh, from Guidoet raised a t- very interesting question. Uh, one of the problems with the NTA is, and particularly, funny enough, this seems to be a, a problem in rural areas where some local person gets an idea that a route that nobody else would think was profitable can be made profitable, like from Guidoet to Dublin. Uh, wants to do it and then has to wait years before they get the permission. Whereas in the old days, they could just go and do it and if they could make the money, away they went. So one of the other dangers now of the present thing is that, you know, the the constraints you complain about with Bus Ayrton are actually now transferring to the NTA. So the number one beginning and end of all of this should be to protect the services so that we get the best public service for our people and that we don't do it on the back of workers. Tom McEnany, you see, I think the points you've made about the benefits of competition absolutely stand up. But I suppose my fear is that when you have all the competition, salami slicing off businesses away from the CIE companies, it weakens the core. And that's not good. You end up in this self-declining yeah, spiral. I, I, and I would disagree. And I would say okay. that there, there's plenty of experiences around Europe where it actually strengthens the core. And it depends on how you regulate the competition. There's some areas such as uh, banking, such as uh, energy, such as transport, where you can't have unfettered competition. You have to have regulated competition. And certainly bus services is one of those. Can I just say as well, in relation to how the end, I disagree with uh, uh, Dermot on this idea that the EU is enforcing us to bring in competition. It's my contention. It's my understanding that the EU is forcing us to bring in competition. 30% uh, routes being open to competition by 2019 is how it's being interpreted. But I understand the impetus is coming from Europe. It, I, I suspect we'll have to have a longer argument on, the, on, on that. And it's not one we'll get sorted out today. And But can I make one final point? The, the one thing that all of your guests today, myself included, would agree on is how the NTMA, the National Transport Authority, is proposing to open up the bus, the bus routes to competition at the moment is absolutely bananas. Okay, and I've I found uh, I I would explain about the minimum turnover. Okay, so at the moment, okay, the NTMA has said on the routes that are or the NTA, sorry, (laughs) NTMA. My God, the 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 um, the NTA has said that. Um, where if you're a private b- uh, bus operation you want to compete for one of these routes you have to have a huge level of turnover that specifically excludes and and uh, uh, over the last no- uh, number of three years that excludes and there's been work done that's worked uh, that's worked out I can put out the numbers that excludes about 90% of Irish bus companies so it'll wipe out over time it'll wipe out the private bus companies in Ireland and force uh, or, or require that the people taking over these routes be the big international multinationals. And that's exactly what Eamon said. That's exactly what Eamon right. said and at the start. Right. And yeah. he's absolutely right. Yeah, and then you end up with a private monopoly. We all, we Look, gentlemen, I think I will leave it there for today. I hope we have... Just one last final point. One, one final point. In about, yeah, yeah, I, 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 we've been long calling for a tri- an open and transparent debate on public transport, including all stakeholders, and, and Tom included, uh, pastors, everybody included. But the NTA, the HSE, the Quango, the HSE on wheels, for example, in three years, Years, let's try three years has spent 21 million of taxpayers' money on what I call vanity projects, and some of those projects have been duplicating what Bus Ireland had been doing. And one last point, one last point, I want to appeal to the politicians and local politicians in particular. Bus Ireland is going to disappear from your community unless you get out and support the fact that the, the bus services in, in, in rural Ireland are, are, are as important to the rural Ireland as the post office and the garage station. Okay, that was Dermot O'Leary, NBRU, Eamon O'Queeve, Tom McAneen, and my other guest today. Many thanks for joining me. Don't forget the demonstration for Aleppo at the Spire. At O'Connell Street at 2pm if you're about. Goodbye. Thanks for listening to this News Talk 106 to 108 podcast. To download other programmes or for more information, go to newstalk.ie.